Can chronic marijuana use be linked to high triglycerides and the subsequent development of coronary artery disease? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Jean Cadet, Chief of the Molecular Neuropsychiatry Section of the NIH and NIDA. Dr. Cadet, welcome to the show. I'm very glad to be here. I've heard a lot about apoprotein A, apoprotein B, but not too much about apoprotein C. Can you tell me what that is? Okay, apoprotein C3 is one of the class of apolipoprotein, apoprotein C3, specifically, recently has gotten a lot of buzz because it by itself has been found to be a risk factor for cardiovascular diseases. Apoliprotein C3, the way it seems to do that is by blocking the enzyme called apolipoprotein lipase, which is involved in the metabolism of triglyceride-rich lipoprotein. By doing that, it causes an increase in triglycerides in the plasma. Well, statins will affect apoprotein B and apoA. Will they also lower apoC? There's some evidence that it will also affect uh, apoprotein C3, yes. Can you tell me a little bit about the study you did that looked at uh, marijuana use and apoC levels? As you know, to start with, marijuana abuse is the most commonly used drug in the country. In the past, what we, our lab published some papers looking at the effects of chronic marijuana use in patient population in the Baltimore areas. We've published papers suggesting that there are blood flow abnormalities in chronic marijuana users and also some cognitive deficits. So the purpose of that paper was in the same individuals to take a non-biased approach to look at protein markers in the plasma of people who've been exposed to marijuana for many years and who've been using it consistently on a weekly basis. So this non-biased approach that we took was to use proteomic analysis. In that process, we collect uh, blood and without any specific theory of what might be abnormal, we look at the protein expression in the plasma of chronic marijuana users. And using this non-biased approach, that's how we discovered that apolipoprotein C3 was significantly increased in the blood of uh, chronic marijuana users. So you weren't really looking specifically for a particular one. You kind of threw a whole bunch of stuff at the wall and then saw what stuck. And it was APOC that kind of rose to the top. That's actually exactly what happened. In the past, still today, scientists approach medical diagnosis or medical pathological state with specific hypothesis. But more recently, with the development of techniques like proteomic analysis, microarray analysis, you can go through the process of discovery so that without any specific hypothesis, you can actually look for many different proteins at many different messenger RNAs, many different genes, and look to see if there are abnormalities in those patient populations. Right. So it, it's a type of phishing. It is a phishing uh, approach. Can you tell me in your study what constitutes a heavy marijuana user versus a infrequent user? In our studies, we have a protocol that through TV ad and radio ad, we advertise and a lot of different people apply to participate in our study. 
So we have entry criteria that people must have used marijuana at least once per week and have used it for a period of two years. That opens the protocol to a large number of people. In previous papers, we published papers about light, middle, and heavy users. And what we documented was that light and moderate users have very mild cognitive deficits, while the heavy users had significant abnormalities in memory. And in the light users, we have people who were using 10 joints per week. The moderate users were using about 40 joints per week, and the heavy users were using a mean of 93 joints per week. So we decided to go with the heavy users because they were the ones who showed the blood flow abnormalities and also the cognitive deficits. So if there were going to be abnormalities, we predicted it might be in that population. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Dr. Jean Cadet, Chief Molecular Neuropsychiatry Section of the NIH and the NIDA. And we're talking about how chronic heavy marijuana use can be linked to the development of high triglycerides. Dr. Cadet, is it possible that it's not necessarily the marijuana, but it's the smoke from combusting the marijuana that's affecting lipid abnormalities? That's a possibility that we looked at and we analyzed, you know, when you're doing statistical analysis, you can control for smoking of cigarette, gender effect, ethnic background. So we control for that. And the smoking of cigarette didn't add to the model. And the other thing is that when you look at cigarette smokers, what they show is high level of LDL, low level of HDL, uh, increase in apolipoprotein A1. Uh, they also show increased triglycerides. So I wasn't able to find papers where there was evidence that smoking cigarette increased apolipoprotein C3. It was mostly apolipoprotein A1. When I came across your article, I also came across another study from 2005 that was done in Geneva, and they showed that low dose of THC actually reduced atherosclerotic disease progression in mice. Are you familiar with that? We also addressed that in our discussion, that possibility. But there's a whole literature about cannabinoid and protection and the acute effects of marijuana or the cannabinoid as against the chronic effects of cannabinoids. And in that study, it was more of a mid a length effect that they were looking at. While in our study, we're looking at long-term effects of the drug. So that's where we're falling. We're saying that patients who use marijuana chronically with high dosages might have an effect that are different. Actually, one of the things that we want to do in our lab at the NIDA is to actually look at the acute effects of drug in terms of neuroprotection as against the chronic effect of the drug. What we're suggesting is, is that the chronic administration of the drug will potentiate toxic effects of other in models of, say, strokes and toxicity of other drugs, while the acute administration of marijuana might actually be protective. So we'll be testing the ideas of chronic against acute effects of the drugs. Dr. Cadet, I'm wondering why at all we have cannabinoid receptors in our brain from a teleological point of view or an evolutionary point of view? Why do we have these? As you know, for past 5,000 years, people throughout the world have been chewing on marijuana leaves. 
So it's obviously very important for us, for our survival. As you know, also, there are these endocannabinoids. In addition to the receptor themselves, we actually have substances that are produced in our body that interact with these receptors. So obviously, this is very important for survival. And the literature is also going the possibility that they serve neuroprotective roles in some areas of the brain, for example. And in some areas of the brain, the endocannabinoid receptors serve to inhibit or stop secretion of certain neurotransmitters. So they're very important for us in terms of functioning in the brain the way I'm the most familiar with, for example, in their work in the reward system, where uh, some of the effects of cocaine and nicotine, even nicotine, might be mediated through the cannabinoid receptors. Eating, for example, very, very dependent on having a normal endocannabinoid system. So they're very important, but because they're in the reward system, and because they can mediate good feeling, for lack of a better word, people have gotten to a point where they're being also abused. It's a complicated drug, but like anything else, it seems that moderation is the key, that even small doses of marijuana you're suggesting may be neuroprotective, but if you do too much of it too frequently, you're going to fry your brain. I, think, I don't know whether you will fry your brain necessarily, but uh, if you use too much, it might be toxic. The literature is very, very clear that patients like the one I've described, if you look at magnetic resonance imaging, if you look at positron emission tomography, if you look at clinical neuropsychological tests, that moderate to heavy use of marijuana is definitely full of side effects. It's not a good thing. My last question is, how many people die each year from marijuana abuse versus alcohol abuse? Does anyone even die from marijuana? The literature there doesn't exist because actually I've looked this over for the past few years. The epidemiology doesn't exist. If you look at the epidemiology of smoking cigarette in terms of death from cancer, it's there. If you look at the epidemiology of death from other drugs, it's there. But the epidemiology on mortality or morbidity related to marijuana uh, doesn't exist. But one thing is clear, though, that there's literature by groups from Harvard where they've demonstrated that people who have had heart attacks and who continue to use marijuana, they're more prone to die within the next year than people who don't use marijuana. So you can do those case studies, so prospective study of small group of patients who've had myocardial infarction and show that their rate of mortality is higher than people who don't smoke marijuana. But the large-scale epidemiological studies that they've done with cigarette smoking has not been done with marijuana abuse. So it's very difficult to answer that question. Dr. Jean Cadet, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. To comment or listen to our full library of on-demand podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Once there, if you register with the promo code RADIO, we'll give you six months free of streaming ReachMD for home or work. You can also reach us by phone now with your comments or suggestions at 888-MD-XM157. And thank you for listening. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. 
Here is a sample of the great shows airing this week. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. Join me this week with my guest, Dr. Anna Penn, neonatologist at the Lucille Packard Children's Hospital in Stanford, California. We'll be discussing Dr. Penn's mouse model to study the developing brain of premature infants. I'm Lisa DeAndre. Join me this week when I'll be speaking with Jim Colley, a professor of healthcare science and the director of the PAMPH program in the School of Medicine and Health Science at the George Washington University. We will be discussing the movement of physician assistants away from primary care. Are our children using too many stimulants? I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. Join me this week as we talk with Dr. Jennifer Christner from the University of Michigan Department of Pediatrics about just this problem. Thank you for listening to ReachMD XM157, where we change topics every 15 minutes. For our complete weekly guest and program guide, visit us at ReachMD.com. This is Dr. Paul Stricker with Scripps Clinic in San Diego, and you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.